Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. On today's episode, we're looking at the BattleCon fighting game system. A system with more than five titles, over 70 characters that's been being published in for over a decade. It's a beloved fighting game gem, and Jake and I both have lots of experience with fighting games, though admittedly not much in cardboard. So I'm excited to delve into this game alongside Jake and talk about whether or not we think it's a faithful adaptation of the sort of fighting game system. We'll talk about fighting games generally. Uh, there's a lot there, and I think Jake and I are going to be anxious to discuss, so we'll see if we can fit all of our thoughts into this episode, or if we just need to keep returning to the subject and maybe cover some other games. This is going to be a really amazing deep dive episode. And if you're not interested in Balakon, you're wrong. Stay here. It's going to be a really great episode. Jake, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, Battlecon is a really interesting game that features a decision space totally unlike any other that we've covered on this show. And I think it's also a decision space that like exists in a smaller, like condensed version within lots of other games that you probably already know and love. So, you know, even if you're not interested in fighting games or maybe you're off put by the art and themes and sort of got like the anime tone that's going to be hit and miss for people. There's, I think there's a lot of value just for understanding games and how they work in this game, which is why it's been one that I've really been excited to cover on this show from the very beginning, especially because of Brendan and I's background in fighting video games. Which I guess we'll get into after we do our, you know, our, our whole program of things. We got to get through our ratings and reviews. We got to get through the game background and the rules overview. And then you can hear about our personal histories. But right here at the outset, Jake, I want to hear. What's your what's your rating and review of Battlecon? Yeah, I, this is a game that I really love. Um, I think it's it's just a genius system. I'm giving it a nine out of ten. I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. It's a ton of fun. I also think it is a delicate system that works best in its most simplified form. So my main criticisms against this game is that. Sometimes the complexity can just get a little bit out of hand and then I'm not able to enjoy like the core gameplay loop that I like so much in the simplified version. So a great game, a light game that sometimes does too much. Nine out of ten. Awesome. Okay, here's mine. Balakon is one of the best board games I've ever played. It's a game that captures the essence of fighting games, which are games that focus the objective on one key point, knowing your opponent better than they know themselves. They task players to forge their path to victory on that insight, which is invigorating, tense, joyful, and at times, crushing. Somehow, Battlecon distills everything I love about fighting games into something new. A ponderous and wonderful game, 9.5 out of 10. It's not quite perfect. There's a few rough edges, like Jake mentioned, and I will talk about those too. But overall, everything going on here excites me so much. Uh, and this is one of the games that I, in recent memory, maybe in the last three years that I've played numerous times and just been i can't stop thinking about when i get to play it again i, I just want to play Battlecon all totally. the time thinking about it all the time i just yeah it's it's the type of game that you can just be like today we're playing Battlecon and have a friend over and just play game after game and yeah. it's probably like each subsequent session of Battlecon will be more rewarding and fun than yeah. the previous one as you sort of learn more about the system the characters and so on but it's also you know for a game that we both 
rated high, right? Nine and 9.5. I think it's a little bit more of like a delicate magic circle than some of the other games that we're sort of putting up there that I think are more robust in the situations that you can, they can accommodate. This, it really requires people, I think, entering with a certain mindset and like looking for a certain thing to get the most out of it. I think that that's absolutely true. And I appreciate that you're sharing this sort of caveat up front because I've said this to multiple people who we've talked about, who I've talked about this game with in the last few weeks, which is that this is an incredible game that you absolutely have to have the right audience for. You couldn't just pull this game out with anyone. And I think at the outset, you know, they have to be interested in the theme, uh, which, or I guess in the mechanical genre of fighting games. And then the anime theme can't be too much of a turnoff. If it is, you're just, you're lost, you know, this is, it's never going to hit. But I guess let's get into the big game background because Battlecon is really big. There's a lot going on. And I think it's important Jake and I talk about what we have experience with and what we don't, and maybe what we want to have experience with. Uh, but Battlecon is published by level 99 games and it's published by and designed by its level 99 games founder, D. Brad Talton Jr., so all of these Battlecon games come from D. Brad Talton Jr. They're designed by him, and he also founded the company that publishes them. You might also know Level 99 Games for games like Millennium Blades, uh, the game that simulates a trading card game experience within a board game. So it makes you feel like you're playing Magic and drafting, or maybe there's a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh! influence in there. Also, that company has published games like Exceed, a- another fighting game system that's really different. Uh, much more uncertainty baked into the mechanics of that game. Uh, a game called Bullet that is an adaptation essentially of the shoot 'em up genre from video games. So a lot of what Level 99 has tried to do is adapt classic video game genres or sort of game styles into co- board games and a cardboard. And they've done a really good job of, of that in since their inception. Yeah, Level 99 is such an interesting company because it has such a clear design ethos running through each of the game. Like you could just look at a game box and pretty much know yeah. it's Level 99. And I love that, right? It feels really authentic to the designer. Uh, it feels like a passion. Each one feels like a passion project and feels like somebody doing almost more so than any other company I can think of. This feels like a designer like saying like, I want this game to exist and yeah. creating it. Um, and I think for all those reasons, it's probably also the most love it or hate it company that we've covered. <laughs> I kind of feel like level 99 is kind of something that's like, you're probably going to love every offering or maybe stay away. I think to that point too, Jake, there's this potential when you're doing these sort of adaptations, we're trying to capture the essence of something that exists in a different type of media to feel derivative in a way. And from my experience with level 99 games, they don't, they feel like totally fresh works. Uh, I wasn't super excited about the Battlecon aesthetic when we were getting into it. I was very excited about the mechanical background, but I will say the more time I spent with the game, the more the world that level 99 and D Brad Talton Jr. have created has drawn me in. I'm not, I'm not fully invested yet, but I'm intrigued and I want to learn more. Yeah. And I guess we should also say at this point, have you played any of their other games besides Battlecon? I only have experience with Millennium Blades, which I really enjoyed. And I've only have experience with Exceed, which I would say is, you said is a very different fighting game system. It's certainly much more similar than it is different. It has a lot of kind of, it it feels different to play because of the uncertainty, but a lot of the same ideas in Battlecon have been adapted by that. Um, And I think it's, 
I know Paul Solomon, friend of the show, like significantly prefers Exceed and thinks it's like a strictly better system. Obviously, uh, opinions will vary on that. I think I like BattleCon a little, a little bit more myself, but I also have a lot more experience with BattleCon than I do with Exceed. I've only played uh, a couple of games of that. Do you think it's fair to call Exceed a more streamlined game? I don't think I'm qualified to answer that. Interesting. I okay. I, at first blush, I wouldn't say so. More, more to come maybe on Exceed in the future. Yeah. It's a game I'm really interested in and learning more about. But for now, this is an episode on BattleCon. So we're going to focus on BattleCon all day from this point forward, except for when we're talking about the games maybe it adapts from. But a little bit of BattleCon history, because we talked about how we're really covering the system today, but there's five standalone expansions that exist for BattleCon or standalone games, uh, boxes, that you could just buy one of those boxes. And it's the complete BattleCon experience, but it has a unique set of characters. So I want to name all those and kind of go through them really quickly. And Jake and I will note which ones we've played. Uh, so the first one that came out was uh, BattleCon War of Indians in 28, uh, 2010. There were 18 characters in this box. That was followed by Devastation of Indians in 2013. That had 30 characters, and it's the largest box that they'd ever put out. So I have experience with both of these first two games. Uh, those are the two that I own. Yeah, the vast majority of my play has been with War of the Indians. Um, that's the one I own. It's possible that I've experienced some of the other characters through the Steam adaption, which I've messed around with just a tiny, small amount. But it might even be safe to say that all of my BattleCon experience has been with that first War of Indians box. Interesting. Within the Steam adaptation, I know that there's a couple characters from Devastation, so maybe you've dipped your toes into them. Uh, I'll name the other ones really quickly. We're not going to go into those characters and featured in these three games since we haven't experienced them much. But they're Fate of Indians, which had 10 characters. That came out in 2015. And there was Trials of Indians, which came out in 2016. Again, another 10 characters. And then Wanderers of Indians came out in 2020 with 10 new characters. One other important note is that that's sort of where BattleCon and your experience with BattleCon could begin. Because there's also mini expansions like Strikers, which add a tag system, which is the thing that exists in some fighting games. Uh, There's standalone characters that are single boxes that you could buy to add to your collection. There's a dungeon crawl mode in Devastation of Indians. There's four player modes where you can play on teams. There's boss fights included in a lot of these boxes. Jake and I are going to talk about the the core BattleCon head-to-head experience, but this system is so big and robust that there's a lot here uh, that it offers. And I think this is another example of how it shows it is a very lovingly crafted thing. Yeah. I bought my uh, BattleCon box War of Indians secondhand and it came with an expansion that uh, the previous owner had put in that some, I, I don't know what it's called off the top of my head, maybe like Fire and Ice or something Interesting. Along, along those lines. But what it adds, is, or maybe there's even two expansions with it, but one of them adds like God versions of a bunch mm. of the characters so that you could like, if you wanted to play with the same character from War of the Indians, but yeah, they're they're like extra super powerful versions. Yeah. I haven't done that at all. So there's just like endless amount of stuff. Any anime trope you can think of has been like incorporated, I think, into this game in some form or fashion at this point. I believe BattleCon is also on its fourth edition. So there's been some changes, some balance updates. We'll have to and... talk a little bit about some of those too, I think. Yeah, definitely. And then also a streamlining of how the game gets communicated. I play on a slightly older version, but the game itself, the core experience is, is very much still the same. 
So it shouldn't be too big of a, a deal in this episode. But like Jake said, we can touch on it some in the back end. Well, so we jump right into your rules overview to give all of our listeners a better idea of what BattleCon, the fighting system is, if they don't have experience with it, and then meet back on the other side to do our classic decisions-based deep dive of this game system. BattleCon is a two-player, perfect information, card-driven fighting game. Each game, players utilize two sets of cards, Bases and styles. Bases are a set of mostly shared cards that each player has access to. Dodge, strike, grasp, burst, etc. Styles, on the other hand, are asymmetric character-specific cards unique to each of Battlecon's 70 plus characters. Every card in Battlecon, bases and styles included, have three stats associated with them. A range, a power, and priority. Each turn, players simultaneously choose one base and one style to pair together to make up their attack pair. Range, power, and priority on the bases and style chosen by each player are added together. Then simultaneously, these attack pairs are revealed and resolved. This process of choosing an attack pair, simultaneously revealing them and resolving them is called a beat. You should think of this as a turn. The goal of a game of Battlecon is to reduce your opponent's starting life total, typically 20, to zero by landing hits with attack pairs. Battlecon is played in a 2D seven space plane. The range of an attack pair refers to how far an attack goes in this space. Short range attacks typically require you to be one space away from an opponent to hit them. Power refers to damage dealt to the opponent if a hit is landed. Priority determines who moves first after attack pairs are revealed. Specifically, the player with the highest priority moves first. If a player is hit, they are stunned and lose their ability to attack back this beat at all. However, many attacks have special effects, including but not limited to stun guard, which allows players to take a hit and strike back. Soak is another ability, which acts as armor, reducing the damage taken from hits a player might receive, and there's many more player-specific effects. After choosing the attack pair, those cards are discarded face up to the table and players lose access to them for two turns. Importantly, what cards players have and don't have is open information. So in Battlecon, players always have to take into account what their opponent might do and are encouraged to do so through the mechanics of the game. Another key phase in Battlecon is the anti phase, which comes after an attack pair selection but before the reveal. This allows players to sequentially anti unique tokens that might modify their power, range, priority, Soak, Stun Guard, and more. Every character in Battlecon has a completely unique feel. This comes through in the styles they have access to, the mechanics they use, with each character having at least one unique mechanic, and the resources they have available to anti during the anti phase. Battlecon is all about understanding what your opponent wants to do, preempting that decision, and punishing them for it. Whomever reduces their opponent's hit points to zero or less first, or whomever has the most hit points remaining after 15 beats is crowned the victor. Thank you, Brendan, as always, for recording that rules overview. Hopefully that gave you some idea of how this game works, and we're going to dive right into it now. And I think the thing I wanted to say up front is... One thing that I think is interesting about a conversation about the decision space in Battlecon is it you mentioned earlier how, you know, this is a game that tries to port essentially re-implements something that exists in fighting video games into tabletop. And I think what's so interesting about that is what 
Brad Dalton has done with this game is in so many ways like taken the decision space of a fighting game, right? What players are thinking about the choices they're making there and put it into this other format, into the tabletop format. And I just think that's kind of fascinating. It's hard for me to think of another idea of like porting a decision space in that way, except for maybe, I guess, some maybe sports type of games. But even then, it, it doesn't feel quite the same. What's so interesting too, to me with that, Jake, is that it's so much that because mechanically, what you are able to do in a physical game is so different than when you have the direct input of playing a video game. And there is this so much iteration done in the early 90s on fighting games, right? Like Street Fighter 2 came out, basically invented the genre of what this is emulating, and it reinvigorated arcades. And then it had this like cultural prominence in the 90s. But those games are so much, it's interesting you invoke sports because these games are so much an example in their original form of a simulation themselves. Lots of video games had come out before that weren't really simulations, right? Like the classic arcade games of the 80s weren't really simulating anything real. Like Pac-Man doesn't really simulate anything. Donkey Kong kind of simulates something, but it's a fantastical environment. But by the time you get to something like Street Fighter 2, it is a fantastical world, but it's simulating people going into martial combat with each other, right? And then so board games are where I feel like typically you see lots of simulations outside of heavy strategy games, maybe in the video game world. So it's sort of interesting to see the simulation be ported, but the way in which it's ported is we're not simulating so many of the things that happen in video game fighting games, right? Like a lot of the elements have been stripped out in the way that different systems work. And what it is actually trying to capture is just that core experience of feeling pitted directly at one another and your ability to exploit your understanding of the other player's desires and to win because of that. Like that's what it's capturing. I don't, we're missing footsies. We're missing lots of little elements of these games, but in its place, you just get to experience the core of it that makes the greater games so fun. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's so cool about that is for anyone who has any experience with fighting games, even if just played casually at a friend's or at an arcade, the first thing you know or learn really quickly is that they are incredibly hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think the technical proficiency, uh, I guess the, the better term maybe is just the barrier to entry into that genre of video games is unlike any other genre of video games that I can think of. Yeah, And I've had the experience many times watching people play like in the esports context like fighting games and thinking to myself like wow it would be so fun to be able to play the game at that level of like technical proficiency but i just don't have the skill set to do it so when i play video games even ones that i uh or fighting games like even ones that i have experience with the most of which is super smash brothers like the amount I get to make decisions in the game that really impact the outcome is still relatively small because it's so, even at like an advanced level, it's still so much more in my experience about like technical, who's doing a better job at like technically executing Mm. what they're trying to do. Uh, And only at a point where both players have complete mastery at an equal level does like the decision-making process become really the key import in deciding the match and i mean it just seems to me like only like such a few amount of people really get to experience that in in fighting video games 
like yep. the top level esport competitors that something like BattleCon is so cool because it actually like makes that experience of like okay we're doing the fighting game thing and i'm actually like have the time to process like all the decision points and then i'm executing it how i want to as opposed to like just flubbing everything right and left if that makes sense to you yeah no it absolutely makes sense and i think that it's so interesting that you invoke smash jake because i know that that's your sort of core genre that you enjoy but smash has such a high execution ceiling there's so much potential room to be basically incredible with your controller in that game and most of my fighting game experience comes from a game called Pokémon Tournament, which is a, a Pokemon-based fighting game that was first an arcade game in Japan and then came out on uh, Nintendo's console, the Wii U. So I was heavily involved with that community, and I actually uh, ended up... I, I traveled around the country to go to tournaments. I participated uh, directly in worlds and global events for that as a commentator of that game uh, and sort of have won tournaments in that game. And a lot of my experience with that game, it, it, that game sort of charts a path that's kind of the in-between of BattleCon and I would say something like Smash or if someone would think of a like Street Fighter, like Street Tekken. Fighter 5 or whatever, Tekken, yeah. But input-wise, it tries to lower the execution barrier to get you right into these mind games quickly. And I always, even when I was a kid, what I loved most about fighting games wasn't, oh, look, I can do uh, some crazy... Like combo. I spent 20 yeah. hours in training mode so that I could like perfectly execute this like 50 input combo. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was never what really, and some people that is the the appeal of fighting games, right? Is like the experience of learning and the mastery of, of the technical aspects is a huge part of the draw. But for me, it was always the mind games were so pure and I loved the ability to directly interact with someone else's mind as they're approaching a puzzle and to try to get one step ahead. So that's what BattleCon asks you to do, equips you with the tools to do, and essentially is what the game is about. The game, I think that's pivot sort of talking into characterizing our decision space again. And one thing that is really important to say out the front that will be another reason why some people are going to bounce off this game or will love it is that this is a perfect information game, more or less. You know all of the cards in your hand. You know all of the cards in your opponent's hand. You're provided a reference card. There's the discard recycle system that I talked about some in the rules overview, uh, such that all of the options are on the table and they're more or less face up. Your hand of cards aren't, but you have a reference card, so you know what's there. Uh, the game really says, these are the decisions your opponent can make. Try to guess what they're going to do and make the better decision based on that knowledge. And that could be really paralyzing. I think for some people, time pressure in video game based fighting games is great because it means that you have to think quickly. And there is no such pressure in BattleCon. This is a, I spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of my decisions when I've played this game on the table. Uh, and other times your decisions are really obvious and they go quickly, but it's not out of the question that if you were very AP prone, you could spend five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes trying to sort out your turn and kind of fall down that hole. Yeah. I mean, it also had to be perfect information as a port of the fighting game sure. system, right? Because just like in Super Smash Brothers or Pokémon, right, you know what options your opponent has available to them at any given time and you know they know yours and therein is the decision space, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's like one of the the great ways. There's it's interesting because there are I don't want to get too far into this, but there are a couple of characters that have some 
interesting randomness injected into the anti-phase of this game in a way that reminds me of some of the zanier characters that you'll see in fighting games but that's just cool it's almost like a perfect port we'll, we'll talk about when we talk about characters maybe because this character is sort of like i experienced the character and i was like what is going on with this character this is so bizarre but it was cool so size and depth this is that in some ways one of the most compact decision spaces that we've covered just because all of the elements are right there they're laid out on the table but because of the way that the bases and the styles combine just and then that overlaid with your opponent's decisions combinatorically this game is the decision space to me feels very large that's and that's interesting i mean it is super it's you know when you when you think about size and depth right as two separate things i think that we could almost say that the size of the decision space is small sure, and the depth is enormous, yes. right? You're, you have a objectively small number. I mean, not super small, right? Cause you can, you have the system of combining two different cards. So right. That when you multiply them or whatever, you add up to, I guess, a pretty large number of possible plays on any given term, but it's at least contained to that. But then, right. The depth is huge just like fighting games, right? And I think to me, like the spirit of the decision space type is gotta be static, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's essentially what it is, is like complex rock, paper, scissors. I think it, it's not even just the feeling. I think it's fair to just call this a static decision space because you have complete agency over what cards you move into the into discard. So you always have a known set of options on the subsequent turn based on what comes before you. And it's always the same pool. There's a few tiny other wrinkles. Uh, you have a, a super, a, like a special attack, uh, a finisher is what they're called in this game, that you can do when you have reduced hit points. But that's almost static too, because you know it's coming. You know the exact hit points you're going to get to. Both of you know the effect that's going to happen. And yeah, Jake, you're, you're absolutely right. One other wrinkle that I will add uh, to the card systems is also positioning because Battlecon happens in a seven space 2D plane, your cards and their impact can be recontextualized based on your relationship to the other player and also the other player's options, which all of these things that I'm adding are just an argument, I think, more towards the depth being so massive. But also one nice thing is the more you play Battlecon, I think the more you sort of naturally see what the organic pairings of cards are between styles and bases with your character and you kind of i think because of that have the ability to see into your opponent's hand and make a judgment based on what jake, if i'm playing against jake i i can look at his character sheet and sort of say okay i think that jake's going to want to pair these two cards together starting what would i do if i was starting out an opening hand and how would i react to that and then as we played more and more i would gain information about what Jake does in certain situations, how he reacts to being nervous or to have it not having access to certain cards, what he does in certain situations. And that's where that infinite depth comes in. And I think fighting games by nature, the appeal of them is that they feel almost endlessly deep because the goal is to understand your opponent's decisions with the tools that they have, right? You can't perfect the game because there's no right choice. The right choice is contextual based on what your opponent does. Right. At each point in the game sort of begs the question of like, what should I be trying to do in this situation based on my opponent's positioning and health and all those different factors. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, if you 
dive into any given fighting game, right? You, that's what a lot of the discussion online kind of boils down to is people are thinking through like top level strategies. Like, okay, I'm in my shield and this, uh, my, this other character is doing this. Like, what should I be trying to navigate in that situation? And, and that sort of thing uh, is absolutely present in this game as well. Like, okay, I'm being pressured by Rukyuk <laughs> and I, you know, I'm on the last space. Like, what type of options do I need to have available in this situation? Like, how can I reverse that? Or how can I, you know, escape this pressure with, like, the least harm done? You know, and when you just start factoring in the number of different characters, the number of different, like, play styles, as you're sort of speaking about, which is really fun, right? You can actually, like, get more proficient at navigating the combinations available to each character. It, you know, the the system just blooms into something so much bigger than the, the relatively simple rule set provides right it's like a game that's bigger than its rules oh so much so and what's bizarre too so i didn't have a sense for how different different characters might feel in this game i was excited you know part of the appeal of fighting games is that every character feels differently and you get to express yourself by choosing a character that really sort of fits with how you want to play the game and one of the coolest things about Balacon is every character is so different they all have unique mechanics that fundamentally reshape how the game will be played. And the more characters I played, the more true that keeps feeling. And I've played maybe a dozen characters at this point, maybe a few more than that. And I know that as I continue experiencing more and more, it's just my mind will continue to be blown and blown and blown. So at the end of the show, we're going to talk about character some because Jake and I, I know we're going to be excited to do that. So that will be yeah. really fun. One other thing to talk about, I think that's really key to the decision space is how much it changes and grows as you learn more about it. And yeah. as your playing partner learns more about it, because it truly is a game where, you know, the first time you're playing, you might not find that much depth because mm. you just are going to be like, you know, throwing pain against the wall and seeing what sticks. But once you internalized all of your character's options, which is really difficult to, I think, do in that, first play it's just a lot of information yep. much less what your opponent's character is capable of it's just uh it's going to be a lot shallower but once you do know more right you can actually start predicting okay if i do this what my opponent may be going to do and get into that sort of donkey space it the game all of a sudden is a totally different experience adding on to that one thing that's hard to grasp initially that really helps is the bases that every character in the game shares. You just get a default set of bases. Uh, and then some characters, maybe most characters, have an extra base that they get to I add in. It's unique do. to them. Okay. Is that those bases formulate sort of the core, they're the base of what you of what your character can do, right? It's descriptive. And when, when you attack. Grasp. Yeah, yeah. Right. Shot, which is a ranged attacker, burst, yeah. And when you're missing, when you've played certain of those attacks, you become vulnerable to the attack that would best counter it, right? There's this sort of pace and flow to fighting games in there, in the way that they work, where you're on offense and then you're on defense, and you're you're trying to sort of bide your time and wait your turn to go again. And I think in Battlecon, the way that that gets captured is when you lose access to certain of your bases or even some of your styles, depending on your character, you move from being in a, in a position where I'm really on the offensive and I'm trying to land a hit to how do I wait for the card that I want to come back and ensure that I'm in the right positions in terms of the space to set that up. So you have really interesting 
turn to turn planning, but so much of this game is also trying to think two, three, four turns ahead. Not and then on top of that, what your core strategy is of am I am I trying to be right next to my opponent in this matchup, or is this an a matchup where I need to try to be as far away from the opponent as possible, and I'm trying to play more of a zoning game. It's all the classic fighting game stuff, and it's so so much represented perfectly. Yeah, I think if the core of this game is rock paper scissors, the thing that enables it to be fun and interesting is this hand management yep. puzzle. To put it in terms that uh, board game enthusiasts are, are likely to be familiar with, um, and sort of the, that puzzle of I have this one super powerful base all mm-hmm. characters do that really facilitates what my character is trying to do so you want to play it early and often but also not having it in your hand means that's an enormous threat that your opponent doesn't have to worry about so how do you navigate that puzzle of making the most out of it and sometimes that can just be by applying the pressure of oh they could play this card totally and I think that this game does such a good job of having that for offensive options, offensive options at range, offensive options up close. And then also there's one really strong defensive option in this game, dodge. And dodge basically says if you dodge through your opponent, they cannot hit you. So it's sort of your downbeat and it's your opportunity to get cards back. If you have dodge available, your opponent has to consider it. Once you play it, they don't have to worry about dodge for two turns. So all of a sudden you're much more vulnerable because just the potential of you dodging throws a wrinkle in what they have to consider. And I really love the sort of commitment aspect of that, where if I dodge and I, I miss because my opponent played a attack pair that allowed them to move uh, or, or something and they step out of the way and land a hit, I'm in, I'm in trouble. And dodge makes it such that you're never attacking. And I, I really like that sort of this core essence that every the language of every player, of every character is... That core game is so tight and so interesting. In Jake's language, that core rock, paper, scissors, it's sort of this five-way rock, paper, scissors start. It it just works really well. Uh, And it's sort of perfectly tuned and is fun. It would almost be fun without the extra characters, almost. But then you add in those and you're just off to the races with possibilities. And it also does such an interesting thing with like control of the match, right? Once you know you're on the offense or know you're on the defense, the decision space shifts for you. Yeah. Like, I think I feel this most concretely towards the end of a game (sighs) when I'm winning and it feels less so like I'm trying to land the killing blow a lot of times, Mm. even though ultimately that's what you need to do to win. You need to bring their life down to zero, but more like I'm trying to find that checkmate, right? I'm trying to navigate into a situation where I can be assured of my victory, which is possible, right? So getting them to burn that dodge. Yeah, I think that what especially leans sort of amplifies the potential there, Jake, that I really love. And I think what would make BattleCon apply to board gamers who enjoy puzzles is the range aspect of of different attacks provides a really rich texture to the decision space. And this is so every I mentioned this in the rules overview, but every base and style has a range and those are additive. So maybe your attack would hit zero to four spaces so if your opponent is five spaces away you'll whiff that's a pretty generous range but some of the most attacks in the game the most powerful attacks in the games the one you really want to land will be really specific right you can only be one space away or this only hits if your opponent is five spaces away from you or six spaces away from you that becomes a really specific scenario that you're trying to create but if you can set it up the system generally rewards you greatly so 
Can I tell an anecdote really quickly, Jay? Yeah, of course. One of the most recent games I played of this was a, a character called, I was playing a character called Caitlin Von Sorrel, who uses these wormholes. I might talk about her a little bit more later, but I just want to say that her finisher, I was behind in the game. I'd been behind in the entire game, but I, so I knew the only way I could come back was by landing my finisher. Uh, and the finisher had a really specific range. It was like, I had to be exactly six spaces away, I think. So I played the final three turns of the game, my second to, to position myself appropriately, my second to last turn of the game, I dodged backwards to miss an attack, right? To get out of the range of an attack, dodging out of my opponent's most powerful attack fair. So the next turn, they were sort of on defense and I dodged exactly six spaces away. I was able to land my finisher and it just, to me, captured the sort of everything coming together aspect of when a plan goes right in fighting games that feels so good. And also captured the, I just solved a puzzle that really challenged me of the puzzle of what my opponent wanted to do, the puzzle of what our characters could do and put those pieces together in a way that board games typically really reward you and make you feel. So it sort of was the peanut butter and chocolate moment of my gaming life. It was, it was so, I just, it was great. And the game does such a good job of like helping you to visualize it in a fun way. I, yeah. I think that's part of the magic of the, you know, attack and base pairs is it like automatically puts you in the, the space where you, you like can't, almost can't help, but sort of visualize what's happening in play. Like you, you, you do the sort of like theater of the mind. It, yeah. I, I think anyway. thematically even right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's just like, you know blistering dodge you know and like you can't and then you realize like you're one space out of range and that attack must have just swung like right by yeah. your no the tip of your nose without hitting you and you know when i was playing this with my friend rex uh he's been gaming partner for this game specifically and, and came over a couple of times just to play just just this yeah he he gets so into that in in just like a great way you know like he he wants to narrate what his character did on that beat uh just to sort of like recount for both of us like what what must have happened on that on that point in time in the fight so even though you're not getting the visual effects of fighting games where you get to like see the attacks and, and register the damage done like the game does even a good job i think of simulating that for for players by providing them the foundation for like creating those moments in in their mind 100 percent. that so two things this is a great buddy game like playing this game with the same person over and over is going to make it better to jake's point so i also have a friend who i've played repeatedly with uh josh and i think that it just rewards you playing that way and in josh and i's plays when that exact moment that jake just described has come up many times where something so thematic happens that we both sort of just sit back and kind of rewind exactly we we unpack what just happened as we resolved our attack pairs, where it was like, you tried to dodge through the wormhole that was there, but then I grasped you and threw you through two wormholes all the way across the screen. And it's just, it, it really jumps out at you in a way that a lot of themes and board games don't. And I think that that's a huge accomplishment of the system, right? When I, I don't know, when I'm laying, laying we're playing Ticket to Ride on Board Game Arena. When I lay roots in that, I am not thinking about the workers, you know, carefully going through the gorges of New York to lay trail nothing but here like it's it begs you to do it and both you and i have had that experience and i think that that's a a huge part of the accomplishment of this game is that it gets the the thematic part of the simulation so right it yeah and 
it's so interesting because shoot now i'm blank out i was gonna say dang it like if i it, guess i guess it's just because I, okay i remember now i remember what i was gonna say like i think it gets back to our conversation about theme yeah. and like this game has decisional theme in a way that like few other games manage yeah. like it puts you into the character right like yep. you visualize like yourself you know sort of like engaging in that that fight in some ways right so it's like okay I, my character me right i'm here in this situation right he's right next to me and i play point blank strike you know it's so like it and and it that move you know if they're right next to me it you know if they're a range of zero or one space away like it's gonna hit them and it's you know it's like like you're kind of in that dmat so it's it's both like the actual like environmental theme of like the names of the cards you're pairing together but also the fact that like it feels like you're there like it feels like you're playing the video game or in this case the board game as it were totally do you jake want to while we're here talk about the anti-system because i think as we move into the rest of the conversation we might graze over that but it's actually a really unique sort of system within this game that allows characters to have added asymmetry and to have thematic wins that ties into what we're talking about some even too. Sure. Yeah, great. Okay, so this system is, we've talked about the attack pair system where you you simultaneously pick your, both of your cards and then reveal them. Uh, but in between when you pick your cards and when they're revealed, there's this uh, stage in the game called ante. And each player will have their own tokens. Uh, and these tokens are highly variable. Uh, there's characters in the game where when you get tokens, uh, you start the game and you start the game off by giving your token chivalry tokens. And when that's, you're giving your opponent a benefit. There's other characters. I played a character who has magic tokens. There's characters who don't have any tokens at all, but they have an effect during this stage. Uh, there's characters who just, there's so many things that they could be happening here. But what's cool is you take turns going back and forth augmenting what's going to happen in the following reveal of your cards so basically you've made a decision and then you take turns going back and forth on if you're going to enhance the effects there or play something powerful so for some characters this phase doesn't matter at all so in some matchups you won't even maybe have an anti-phase depending on the rule set you're playing with and in other phases this is hugely important jake mentioned a character earlier jake do you want to talk about that character uh and sort of how he approaches this this phase because it's really cool. Rukyuk, yeah, this yeah. this is one of my favorite characters, and Rukyuk comes with six different anti tokens, and his sort of overarching theme is that he uses guns to fight. So his six anti tokens are different types of ammunition he can use. So there's the long shot, which allows him to increase his range by one or two there's the ap armor piercing shield which ignores soak which is a way that characters can avoid taking some of the damage and so on and so forth so there's six different ones that all require that all do something different but only if you know the the situation like that you're only gonna get a benefit from it if you position your character perfectly to or anticipated your opponent perfectly get value right if your opponent's not using soak you don't get any value by using that token in that situation. And then the custom base is, or his special base is a reload that is like an offbeat, but you get to pick up all your tokens. So it's like a whole other sort of 
not an economy, but a whole other kind of resource management system that this character gets to play on top of that. And I, you know, I really enjoy resource resource management type games so that this character uh, really appeals to me because I get to like play this other type of board game mechanic that I really like within like on top layered on top of this game. Yeah. So, you know, this character has a lot of decisions to make during the anti-system. My playing partner, Josh, really likes his character, so I'm used to playing against him. And I love the way that Reload, Wrecker, uh, to get all of those tokens back, and he really wants them back because they add a ton of power to what he can do, uh, has to reload. So take a turn where he's totally vulnerable. And the guessing game around that becomes so fun because maybe you're going to wait until you've used most of them and then do it, right? The pressure mounts. But maybe one of the tokens that you have is really strong in a certain matchup. So maybe you're going to use it and then surprise me with a reload and trying to play that guessing game of is it's Jake or is Josh going to reload now? And do I try to go in? It's just, it adds so much depth. I will also say this character is so brutal. If you, <laughs> if you make a mistake at the, the opening of the game, you can end up in a really tough spot where it's very difficult to get back in range of this character. And yeah, really cool how he shifts the gameplay. I also, Jake, I want to mention, so have you heard of the character Atavia six? I mean, it sounds familiar. Okay. It might so be in my is, game, is it? I, I think it might be. She might be in Devastation. But this is a character who doesn't have tokens during the anti-phase. In the anti-phase, instead, what she does is she makes a guess. If, if she can guess the priority of the opponent's revealed attack pair, instead of that priority being whatever it is, it becomes like negative 10. So if she can guess the exact priority of the pair, all of a sudden she always is going to get to go first. So it's so much of this guessing game uh, themed around she's sort of like this terminator sniper where if she knows your position you're done for and josh and i had so much fun because my character in this matchup had no tokens in anti so our anti phase was just if he could guess my priority he was going to land this massive hit so it was just this hilariously fun guessing game and it really affected how i was bringing my attack pairs together trying to have priorities that he couldn't guess right like trying to be higher than i normally would or lower than i normally would and that really matters in this game. We haven't really covered it. And I want to hear your thoughts on this, Jake, is that one thing that I think could be off-putting to board gamers is if there's this system where if you get hit, you don't get to, to go that turn if you get hit first. But there's another system on top of that called Stun Guard where you could maybe stun one hit or two hits of damage or three hits. But there's the potential where within the sequencing of attacks, when you go really matters. And I think that that higher order puzzle of, am I going, do I want to move fast this turn or is moving slow okay? And if I move slow, I'm doing that because my opponent's going to move, but I'm going to soak, I'm going to I'm have stun guards and I'm playing a lot of soak. So I'm going to take a hit on purpose that won't do much damage. And then I'm going to counterattack back. It just, to me, that add, that's where a lot of the depth and richness comes is the timing aspects of Battlecon 2. So I, I just really wanted to highlight that. The priority system is perhaps the most pivotal, right? Like either out prioritize them or or make it irrelevant because you're using your dodge correctly, that type of thing. That's hugely, you know, those moments are so hugely pivotal in deciding the winner of the game. It's interesting too, because priority is something, it's a word that I heard a lot when I was younger playing fighting games, sort of before I knew the, the background of how they actually work. And I think some games do sort of have these like priority systems where this attack will always trump this attack. But oftentimes what's actually happening is, I won't go, don't worry, I'm not going to get too too mathy, too nerdy. But there's a frame system where certain attacks are faster than others. And what's actually happening when you play 
video game fighting games is you're learning how fast certain attacks are, how many frames of animation right. happen. And this kind of like simplifies that so perfectly, but it captures some of the the essence of this game of chicken that's sort of at the heart of it is of I'd like to do this much stronger attack, but it's slow. And can I do that? Or is my opponent just going to attack and stop me? Uh, and then I won't get to do the attack at all. I've wasted the attack there. So I like that part of fighting games is really fun because it's sort of like it, it, it's all about how patient are you? Do you want to play this slow game where you chip away at someone or are you calling your shots and you know you can land a big blow because you know exactly what your opponent's going to do and this is the spot? And this system sort of captures that perfectly and it allows you to have some of the emotional undergirding that makes that system actually inter interesting where if I'm so desperate to land an attack, Jake will know that and punish me for being too too desperate. And it's here, it's good, it works, it's, oh, chef's kiss. Right, absolutely. Uh, and the other great thing about all of these systems is they all enable, like, space for different characters to say, like, this is what I'm good at, right? Or this is what I exploit, um, which is which is fantastic. One one of the characters, like, you know, even, like, something like, so, like Stun Guard, there's a character, Cadenza, that's literally like a tank basically yeah so he just has a massive stun guard on all of his moves or the or the majority of moves so even though you know he's not as nimble maybe not even as strong he's always gonna be retaliating basically um and that can be a really fun sort of different gameplay style as well like how are you going to navigate that puzzle which is you know just a small change but fundamentally tweaks the whole game system and if you played a character over and over, right, if someone was your quote unquote main, it would recontextualize the way that you're bringing together certain bases and certain styles, maybe because perhaps your character typically wants to be right next to someone. And maybe with this character who can soak a lot of attacks, you're going to try to play more of a range style with your character. So what does that look like? And how do you approach a certain matchup? And so much of this game sort of is about those matchups. And I think that if Battlecon for me, one of the frustrating things is sometimes this is just the case with all fighting games to some extent is that because there's so much diversity of mechanics and styles, some matchups might be slightly more evenly balanced than others. And I think that when you're just playing a video game, that's fine. You like pick your character and you're going to have certain strengths and certain weaknesses, but on the table, it can be a little bit frustrating for someone like me, who's not a master of this game yet, where I don't know necessarily going into it that I'm playing at a large disadvantage and then sort of halfway through the game, be sort of say, oh, I think this might be a kind of a rough matchup for this side of the table. And that's kind of fun. Like, it's not a big deal. We'll just play again. But it's something that you should know about is that there are going to be matchups that are more balanced and less balanced. And that's just the nature of this type of game. Definitely. Yeah. Should we just talk more about characters, Jake? Let's do it. Yeah, okay. I'm, kind of, I'm looking at our notes and making sure there's nothing else extremely important to talk about before we get into characters. I guess one thing I did want to mention first is what system are you playing because this game actually has like sort of three different i think versions of how how the um final attack has worked mm. have you have you dug into that at all i haven't can you talk about some of what's going on or at least how the system that you have for the finisher move works so the there's like a, a, a gauge system have you played with the gauge system at all i have not okay this this is coming from oh, the Steam version. So I may this. be getting this wrong. And I have like a dial that I can track okay. it. I don't know what box this came in or if it was yep. like an expansion thing or what. But I think this is like maybe the 
preferred tournament version hmm. this okay. day, these days. It's not tri- tied to your life total. Right. So you have your life total, but you also get like plus two focus every okay. turn if you don't use it. And then in and there's different things you can do with your focus in the anti system. Like oh, I think you can like yep. do like two focus to get plus two priority or something like that, yep. or, or two to get damage. And I think if you get up to seven, you can use it to activate your special attack then. So this is the version of the game on Steam. That is not the version I was playing in tabletop mode when I was playing physically. So I do have a little bit of experience with it. That system's neat because it basically makes the anti-phase relevant for everyone and gives you a, a few more options that you could use, I think, to even out certain matchups is my impression. Mm-hmm. The version I played with Jake was we just got our finishers. You got access to it when you had, I think, seven or less uh, life total left. You start with 20 typically. Uh, and then you would still form an attack pair. But then w- during the anti-phase, you would declare that you're actually playing your finish card instead of the attack pair you selected. So that's how I've mostly played with the finishers. And then there's also the special action cards. Have you seen the special action cards? No. So this was a different version of the game that you could shuffle. You'd also get a special action card in your starting hand. Okay. And though it's pretty cool. The way this special action card works is you would play it, and then depending on what you pair with it, so it's like if you use strike drive or unique your unique base with it, then you that means your when this comes out it's your finisher card and you can only use it when you have seven or fewer life. Okay. And then it also has like the can a cancel. So if you use grasp or shot with it before reveal effects activate, you just discard your opponent's revealed attack pair and both players set new attack pairs. Cool. Or, and I think you can only use this once. Is sure, that makes thing. sense. And the last one is Pulse. You can rearrange all stand-up, uh, stand-ups on the board and negate your opponent's attack and skip directly to Recycle. Wow, that's really powerful. Yeah, and that I think this came out of favor because Pulse was just too oppressive. Like yeah, everybody that's... just used Pulse every time. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> if you get to decide the positioning and reset attack pairs, that's that's really, really strong. So anyway, I was just curious like what system you had played with. I think the gauge system is cool because it makes the anti-phase relevant in every matchup. Yep. But it's like also just when when I was playing it with Rex, we were like, oh, we have to like remember to like, did we yeah. add two or not? And just made an extra like finicky thing. It seems how like the you, kind of... Oh, with go the for life, it. I was just asking like with the life uh, one, yeah. how do you activate your atta- your finisher without your opponent knowing you're doing it again. so you play your regular your bases as normal and then during mm-hmm. the anti-phase instead of anting uh, tokens you would just say i'm playing my finisher right so your that, anti. that makes it like a little bit less of a surprise i think which yep. is like the downside which is why the special cards are cool too yeah because then your opponent can't like respond to it with an ante, right? Totally. It's like really out of the blue. So it's it's there are the game has kind of continued to evolve. Yeah, and and I think your your mileage will vary. But I think we sort of went back to the most simple version and yeah. realized that we kind of thought that was the ultimately the most fun and simple way to play. Interesting, which is sort of a theme for me in this yeah. game. <laughs> I guess one other system that we should mention before talking about characters to close out the episode is clashing. Uh, clashing is a system where if you both have the same priority you essentially get to redo the attack pairs again but without access to what you used so you have a series of increasingly more information about what your opponent might do as cards get pulled out and i think that 
That's a system that works really well. It creates exciting moments within a game. I think certain matchups you might never clash. Other matchups you're more likely to clash. It adds, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. It added cool texture. There's lots of ways that fighting games sort of resolve this problem of we both move and we have the exact same timing, what happens? And I, I like this. It takes advantage of the fact that we're not truly simultaneous, so we can just make a new decision. And I think that that's really rich. There's actually some video games that I think have sort of similar systems, uh, which is which is neat, but clashing is cool. It's something you should be aware of that could happen. And yeah, great. Yeah. Let's talk about characters. All you right. go first, Jake. Okay, um, probably the character that I've played the most uh, and really enjoy is one of the most simple characters in all of Battlecon, and that's Kalistar. Uh, and Kalistar is a super aggressive character that has just a lot of extremely powerful attacks that do a lot of damage, which is great. I love that. <laughs> uh, and the cool hook for this character is that it has a human form and an elemental form. Have you played against this character or with I it? haven't, no. So what's cool about that is like, depending on what form you're in, your moves can do things a little bit different. And also you get like different benefits and drawbacks. So when you're in the human form, you always have soak one activated. And when you're in the elemental form, you always get plus two power, plus two priority and lose one life. So it's sort of a fun risk versus reward. And then also you get to manage how you switch back and forth because you have two different uh, attack bases or, or whatever yep. ignition which at the end of the beat if you're in human form you enter the elemental form and that also to do that the attack has plus three power and you lose three life so it's like you know you, you basically this is like the red deck wins of battle con right yep. just like getting in that elemental form taking a ton of damage yourself but being like this like super aggressive like terrifying threat on the board and she then yeah, so, you, so Ignition turns that, and then Flare is like how you get back into human form if you need to, and that also deals three damage to you. <laughs> Interesting. So you really aren't going to be changing forms too much. She's like a stance character where you only want to change stances once or twice maybe in battle. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I'm so here for that. That's awesome. Okay, so I mentioned Caitlin Von Sorrel at the top. She's the one who can create wormholes that basically allow you to put space between your opponent and yourself that you can choose to have that space there for your own moves or ignore it which so fun this is i think she is my favorite battlecon character but i feel like i already talked about her enough and she actually you mentioned changes i've read a little bit about caitlin van and some of her effects were changed and in the version that i have when you walk into her wormholes, they disappear. So they're a little bit easier to deal with. And that was a way to kind of balance the character out some. But the next character I want to talk to you about is this character called Oriana. Have you heard of Oriana? I don't think so. Okay, so Oriana is a blue-haired mage. I've only played like with like six characters. With six characters. I've had okay, this cool. game for like years. <laughs> totally. No, I think we'll stop asking each other because there's so many characters. Yeah. It's kind of like we're teaching each other. So Oriana is this magic user. And as far as I can tell... Uh, her anti-phase, she starts with ten magic. Uh, she starts with six magic tokens that she can anti uh, magic points, and she can have up to ten. And all of her attacks, for the most part, are affected by how much magic power you anti during the anti-phase. So it's this resource management game about getting magic power and then using it at the right time. But the more I play this character, the more I realize that so much of what she's trying to do 
is not necessarily to land lots of hits. Uh, a lot of characters in Battlecon, you just kind of want to be consistently damaging your opponent. Playing Orianna, it seems to me that what you'd like to do is you're playing basically a runaway zoning character where you're trying to create space from your opponent so you're not getting hit, and you're building up magic power because what you're going to try to do is spend a lot of magic power all at once and just land a massive hit, like nuke your opponent for a ton of damage, and then run away again, build up a ton of magic power. So she's this annoying zoning character all about resource management. I didn't, I wasn't able to play her effectively, but she seems neat. And she was the character that I played with where I was sort of like, wow, this system is so robust. This is a fighting game character who doesn't really want to fight until the right moment, uh, doesn't even necessarily have a ton of good zoning tools. So she's kind of just a runaway, build up resources, and then just land the blow. Really cool. That's interesting, because that's very similar to the character I was going to talk about, which is Rex's main character he likes to use, which is Luke. Okay. And Luke is like a time traveler, basically. So he starts with two time tokens, uh, and then he gets another one at the end of each phase up to a total of five. And he can use those to ante. One token equals one priority. And then you could also use three to teleport up to two spaces at the start of the beat. Or you could ante all five tokens to just become the active player of this beat. Nice. Which That's is awesome. Pretty awesome on its face. But I think the, the thing that Rex has really liked about this character is, again, sort of like the thematic experience of playing him because his ultimate attack is like one of the coolest ever. It's called Temporal Recursion. So it does three power and only has a range of one, but has five priorities. So that's pretty good. Yep. But before activating, you can advance up to one space. And then after activating, you may spend a time token to execute this attack again. That's so, sick. Yeah. So like if you're already one space away from them and you have five tokens to ante, it's just 15 damage in one shot. You're just in the blender getting like hit, like reverse time, hit, reverse time, hit again. So sick. You know, or, you know, that person, you could just picture the character like blinking towards you a couple yep. spaces and like hitting you for nine. So good. Very, very fun thematic character, but it works really similarly, right? Where he's sort of baiting, dodging to like power up those in tokens. terms of time tokens and then kind of like glass cannon style. Yeah. I, I was really surprised, Jake, how many effects there are in Battlecon uh, that are sort of teleportation effects, which I really like because there's this concept in fighting games called neutral which is this sort of no one is at advantage you're both sort of equally able to approach uh, and set the terms of how your encounter is going to happen and one cool thing about battlecon is you could end up in a really unfavorable position where you're really far away from the opponent and the all of the movement options that you have these teleports really help you reset to where you want to be on the screen and battlecon is definitely a high agency game uh, there's also moments of very low agency, but that's something that I think as we talk through characters, I'm realizing we should emphasize. And a lot of the designs are about this character will be in a low power state at the start, or this character will be in a high power state at the start. And how do I play around that? So another character that I played is called Runica Zenin, and she has these five artifacts. She starts with them face up on the table, uh, and they all provide passive benefits. For example, she has these one of them gives her more priority, more power is another one. One of them gives her stun guard. There's just all these strong effects that you make you when you start the game very strong. But whenever you take a hit, one of them breaks and you deactivate it and you lose that passive benefit. So you're getting weaker as you lose health throughout the game. So it's all about avoiding hits. You have ways to reactivate some of them. 
And then one of her special attacks also lets you overdrive, I think is the, the phrase, and use this sort of special effect tied to that artifact. And then you lose that artifact for the rest of the game. But those effects are really powerful. So you'd be a fool probably to not utilize them in some way to your benefit. So it becomes this timing puzzle of when in the game is the right time to burn my, you know, my shoes that make me really fast so I can land a big hit. And then I'll be slower for the rest of the game, but it won't matter because I will have such an advantage to, to advance on. And she was so cool. It was a lot of complexity. She was one of the first characters I'd learned. And I was like, whoa, this is a lot, uh, which I think is an experience that a lot of people probably have with Battlecon. But after one game, both my, my partner and I were sort of like, okay, we got this. This isn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. And the two characters I've mentioned so far are both um, kind of the level one characters in this game, uh, and the War of Indians box I have has characters divided into three tiers, sort of like beginner, intermediate, advanced. And to be honest, I think Rex and I being both sort of like, you know, not, you know, amateurs at the game, right? New to the game for the most part. Yeah. It's just we had a lot more fun playing with those characters because it allowed us so much faster to like get into the actual mind games, mind games than playing like characters in the advanced side, which are like, so complex that I just kind of like, you know, it, it's difficult, like what's happening here. And then it, it gets back to where your sort of first experience with this game, where you're just kind of like chaotically doing stuff and then trying to like understand how it resolves. So we, we have explored all types of characters. So I, I wanted to share one example of like a more complex character in the game, just to show how like absolutely absurd <laughs> things get. So Rex tried out this character called Sagas or Sagas. And this is a character that uses like mirror tokens to basically like copy and negate whatever your opponent's like trying to do all the time. And his ultimate ability allows you to, uh, you just take your, you add the opponent's attack pair to your hand. They do not recycle or activate further effects after this beat. You can use those cards as your own for the rest of the duel. So you just steal your opponent's like two cards out of their hand for the rest of the game. At, that's Kirby. his ultimate called like assimilate. Yeah, the Kirby character. Yeah, that's so, so sick. Yeah, it also has one that can. Uh, uh, I think shadow allows you to when when you're moving. If you use the shadow base, yeah, you get to consider the edge of the board as connected. So it's sort of like this like super annoying like zoning character. It's just like impossible to pin down. And once you finally have them like pinned in the corner, they're just like, oh wait, I'm actually like all the way on the other side of the map again. And, and the like just the sheer amount of options afforded this character with the mirror token, which also has like this interesting ability where the mirror token that that he has you can use it as though it's any other token in the whole game. So like if you steal somebody's what? like effect with like a different anti token, you could just use the mirror token as that. That's so cool. But yeah, like playing against and like with this character, it just took the complexity up to a level that was just like, I just don't even know what's going on at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So the war so i also have war but then in devastations of indines or indines it's separated into five flights and i've i've mostly stuck to the first three flights but i will say caitlin von sorrel that wormhole character she's a flight five and hers i I think she's flight five not because it's complex but just because it changes the game so much and i think Mm -hmm. that there's a mix of both going on 
I want to say talk about two more characters just really fast. I'm going to rapid fire them. Okay, we played with this one character, Jake, called Byron Crane. His whole thing is that he's wearing a mask. And the, this mask, he has, I think, five or six mask tokens at the start. And his hit points at the start of his turn reset to three. It's I think it's three. It's three or four times the number of mask tokens that he has. But every time he takes a hit, he loses a mass token. So he can take really big hits so long as he it's not critical because he's just going to heal back up. So you have to you know you're going to have to hit him at least five times to sort of wear him down. And that character was really cool because it completely changed the way I thought about it. And also it had this unique interaction with a, a different way that damage can be done where in my game I was able to land this sort of like lasting hit that got around this mass mechanic. But I've just, I love that about this game that even this, I've never seen a mechanic like that in, in Street Fighter or any game that I'd seen. And healing can be pretty precarious in fighting games, uh, but it worked really well here and it was really cool. He looks like uh, Pegasus from, uh, from Yu-Gi-Oh in a way. And I just dug, I dug the style. I, I think the interesting thing about the advanced, more advanced characters too, just real quick to get it in is if you're playing two advanced characters against each other, like we had tried, that's yeah. when things get even more out of Zing. whack, right? Like if you picture like the wormhole against the mirror thing, <laughs> yeah, it's just like things are so crazy. Whereas if you're doing like something that's really trying to play the game as more of like a straight character in that matchup, yeah. it'd probably be a lot more parsable. Yep. Um, yeah. Because at least one person's doing something like that somewhat resembles sort a of normal grounded. battle gun. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I wonder if this character fits for you. Uh, so the other character I want to highlight, I had a ton of fun playing this character. She's uh, what fighting game players would call a puppet character because she has her normal character, but she has a secondary character. Yes. So this character is Karen Brantford. She she can attack. She's cool. But the, the even more cool thing about this is that she has a wolf uh, and you add the wolf to the board. So you're really playing two characters. You're playing Karen and her wolf and you're positioning, trying to basically always have your opponent between you you want your opponent between you and your wolf. So no matter which way they they go, they're going to get bit. And it's public characters can be hard to play when you're playing a video game where the technical input mm-hmm. barrier is high. And in Battlecon, that's completely neutralized. And it's 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 tougher to manage the positioning of two characters, but it's not out of your reach. And it's just, it's so fun. This character I love because when you have the wolf behind you and Karen in front of you, just immediate pressure. And you know you have to get out of that situation, which then becomes an exploitable mind game. And it's just, oh. She was really cool. The crazy thing about this is like I have one of the $10 boxes or whatever that has 10 characters in it or something, maybe slightly more. I've got yeah. 18 characters of the cheap, a cheap box. And I feel like I have content for years. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I've even scratched the surface on the number of characters I've had because you want to play them more than once, right? Yeah. It's not enough just to like you play it once and it's like, okay, now I get it. So I have to play this character again where I, you know, I typically am not digging through them after one, but I think that brings us to the end of our episode. I think if you've listened to this, you probably will really know whether or not Battlecon is for you and something that you might enjoy. I think if you're somebody who's enjoyed fighting video games and you're here listening to this podcast, it's like a must try. Yeah, definitely. And if you have any thoughts or want to discuss this game with us, you should absolutely do that by reaching out to us on our Discord is probably the best place. There's a link in the show notes. You could also email us. You can find a link to that on the show. I really quickly want to shout out also that next week is our big year-end review of every game we've played throughout the year, and the community is invited to rank those games as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts on games we've featured throughout the year. So if you're listening to this as close to when this releases, check out decisionspace.com slash decisionspacepodcast.com slash rankings for more info. Jake, 
I'm going to have to run, but it's going to be really hard not to want to play and discuss more BattleCon in some capacity on the show. Maybe the answer is we just have to delve into Exceed, but I really love this system. I really want to play this game against you. And like you, I feel like I have enough BattleCon for the rest of my life, but somehow I, I want more. So Maybe we should play it on Steam and stream it. That would be awesome. That would be All so right. cool. All right. Well, we'll think about that. But until next time, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Decision Space. We will see you next week for our big year-end review and ranking all the games we played so far this year. So looking forward to that, Brendan, and we'll see you all then. Bye, y'all. Bye.